0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone. My name is Joni Siegel. I am the host for the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer and co-founder of the podcast. Today's episode is episode number 350. And before I tell you about today's episode, I just want to remind you to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating so that when people search for help with addiction, they'll find our podcast. Our whole purpose is to give people hope and to let them know that help is available. Please also check out our YouTube channel, subscribe, ring the bell so that you're notified, and give our videos a thumbs up. Also, if you would like to contribute to our podcast, If you look in the show notes, there's a link for our Patreon site. We've been doing this podcast pretty much free of charge for seven years. While we do have some sponsors and advertisers, it would be very helpful if you would contribute to keeping this podcast going. We think it's important. Today, we have an interview with a gentleman named Scott Strode. I'm very interested in talking to Scott. Scott, sober for over 25 years, is the executive director of The Phoenix, a transformational nonprofit he founded in 2006. The Phoenix harnesses the power of connection to ignite a movement that's changing how society looks at addiction and recovery. The Phoenix provides free programs, both in person and virtually, across the globe, including yoga, climbing, music, CrossFit, art, and more. The only cost to participate is 48 hours of sobriety. Scott says, quote, it might be the activity that brings someone in, but it's the community of sober friendships that keeps them coming back, end quote. This spark of hope for recovery that Scott himself experienced has continued to grow and help thousands rise from addiction. Not limited to those in recovery, the Phoenix Movement is for anyone who has been impacted by substance use disorder, because the solution to the addiction crisis lives in all of us. Let's talk to Scott Strode. Scott Strode, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and talking about your own story and what you're doing now.
1: Thanks thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be here.
0: Absolutely. So, Scott, tell tell our audience like what your background was, and then, you know, from there, take us into what your history is with addiction.
1: Sure. So, um, as far as background, I would say, um, you know, I experienced early childhood trauma as a kid, and I'll just jump right in. (laughs) Um, Had a father with untreated uh, mental health and Mm -hmm. undiagnosed and untreated and, um, struggles and a stepfather who was, was an alcoholic. So Mm. alcoholism was introduced into our family when I was pretty young. And I think through some of the self esteem wounds, I, you know, incurred in those days, I found drugs and alcohol, uh, you know, when I was 10 or 11 and it, it made me feel better. And
0: And how did you find it? How were you introduced to alcohol?
1: Um, actually had some some cousins who, who gave me my first beer. I think they thought it would be like a deterrent because it would taste so bad. And, and it was pretty gross, you know, but when I went back to school and I told other kids, I had tried a beer, all of a sudden I started getting this like status amongst my peers at that young age. And, and I felt valued by them. They kind of looked up to me in some ways. And then I realized I could Break into the liquor cabinet, which was actually a closet because we needed a bigger space Mm -hmm. um, at at our house. So I'd break into the liquor closet and steal a bottle of booze, and 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 I just was sort of off and running at that point.
0: Yeah, I I my oldest granddaughter is ten, and I can imagine that she would be quite the subject of interest were she to delve into alcohol, which she has not. So
1: yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So it was, you know, obviously way too early to even realize that that existed, but it was, it was just part of our life as kids. And and when we were in one household, it was mental health struggles and trying to figure out who dad was going to be that day. And the other half the time was trying to, um, you know, figure out how to be cool. And all the people I respected stood around a keg of beer or, or, uh, you know, a bottle of booze, pouring martinis. So wow. I just thought that's the place you go for that.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can learn such things very, very young.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you can. And, and, you know, for me, I realized that, you know, i I found this sort of place in my peer group. People were looking to me to figure out if I could get booze and we'd have little parties at my house. But what I didn't realize is that, I had these deeper self-esteem wounds. I just kept pouring booze on them and, and eventually that didn't really work as much. So I started trying different drugs and then my old
0: were you when you, when you transitioned to drugs or when you started trying 15 when I was 15.
1: Yeah. So I found somebody who I could buy weed from. I met them when I was in a, on a mental health hold for being suicidal and, and realized that they sold other stuff too. And there's, they were doing lines. I didn't really know what that was, but I tried Coke and, and loved it and, um, and was sort of off and running. And, and I had this kind of unique experience where my mom realized I was getting into trouble and I was young and she wanted to try to get me out of this environment I was in and found this program on a boat. It was sort of an experiential, outward bound style program. And I went on it and you, I've, I've just experienced the instant cause and effect of nature, right? Like the captain of the ship, we went out on this boat and the captain said, don't do this. And I would ignore him. And a huge wave would crush me on the deck of the ship. And I was like, Oh, okay. Now I know why he said that. (laughs) And, and it just seemed there's this, like this, uh, judgmental but honest, like struggle when you're, when you put yourself against nature. And I think that's what the crew on the boat was doing. And, and I started to realize that I had some intrinsic strength and it started to kind of grow a little bit, but my addiction was also growing at the time and, you know, came off that boat and, um, just started working on boats and started drinking. I'm
0: sorry to cut you off, but so you were doing drugs while you were on the boat?
1: Um, I was doing drugs while we would go ashore. I got so, it. So, yeah. It.
0: Was it was the was the boat designed to be rehab, or was it just designed it, to just help you get out of yourself? Kind of. It
1: was a program to kind of help you get out of yourself, and okay. it was specifically for kids. Kids with dyslexia. I have dyslexia, and uh-huh. I think my learning disability was also part of my addiction story. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just felt like I felt like I was brighter than the way I was treated in the public school system. And that, that frustration just said, I threw up my hands and said, I'm just going to start cutting school and not going in at all. Right. And that put me in the crowd of folks that were out on the train tracks behind the school drinking and using. And, and that just became my, my tribe. And I just right. spent time there.
0: Yeah, I understand. Okay. So back on the boat. So then we yeah. were done. How long were you on the boat?
1: Um, it ended up being two academic school years that I was on the boat. The whole year? The whole year. Wow. So it was a it, 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 the second year is when I had this real transformation. I, I went on the ship and I went back over the holidays to home and my friend said, Hey, we got some Coke. And, and I was like, no, I'm good. You know, like I'm, you guys do your thing, but I'm going to sit it out, you know? And, and so even though I quit using drugs, um, you know, I was probably 17 or 18 at this time. Um, I quit using drugs. I was still drinking and, Mm -hmm. and my drinking just, just progressed from there and, and working on boats and in shipyards and, you know, kind of around boats. It's just this culture of, I kind of joke that we never knew a bottle of rum that you could put the cap back on, (laughs) you know, you just sort of take it off and throw it over the side and, Everybody would drink it until it was there's gone. A, there's a
0: reason why we associate pirates with rum, right? Yeah, yeah, there <laughs> is.
1: That culture still exists, minus yeah. the piracy. But, um, but, you know, it was a hard-drinking, hard-working group of folks I was surrounded with. And and I wasn't even 21 yet. And mm-hmm. I would consider myself as an alcoholic. Um, and And it was just tearing my life apart.
0: Did they know you had a problem, the other guys on the boat?
1: You know, I don't think so. I think when you drink and use in those extremes, you tend to sort of like surround yourself with folks that are also doing that. Right. And coming from a family that had some alcoholism, it it I didn't stand out. Right. You know, I just seemed right. like I was the hard party and the fun, you know, just like everybody else that was, you know, on the family vacation or or that I was working with at that time on the boat.
0: Sometimes. The hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount, or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. We appreciate you listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction if you would like to contribute to our podcast, please go to bit.ly slash fight drugs. That's H-T-T-P-S colon slash slash B-I-T dot slash fight drugs and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us. Got it. Okay. So how old were you when you, when you stopped doing the boat?
1: Um, I came ashore in Boston, um, and I was 20 and turned 21, you know, right when I came ashore and I started, you know, learning woodworking more as a craft because I had done some of it on boats, but I, you know, was going to try to transition it into a career and, you know, build furniture and, and do custom boat interiors, that kind of thing. But was still like bridging this world between, my alcoholism and who i dreamed i i thought i could be in my life and um you know just started to have more and more dark nights and times where i disappointed myself and i have to call them to work and then i started having i got to that place where even the the folks that also struggled with alcohol i was surrounded with started to be worried about me <laughs> you know so okay. when your fellow alcoholics are thinking you're an alcoholic you you start to have to have to look at that and okay. then it then all of a sudden something happened where my drinking was so so intense that in blackouts i would start using drugs again okay so i would never use drugs sober but i would drink so much that that i would just sort of come to wherever and had been on a bender of Coke and whatever else with folks. And, and, um, I was just really not at the wheel of my life anymore. It had completely sort of, uh, deteriorated into living in between times when I could get drunk.
0: I got it. And what, at what point did you kind of realize you had to do something about that or, you know, yeah. that's why we call this podcast, the point of no return because, yeah. You know there's a point that we find that most people reach where they realize that they're either going to get better or they're never going to get better.
1: Yeah, I I had that realization. It was my last night of use and I was paranoid and was strung out on coke and smoking coke and was just locked up in my apartment in Boston. I was sort of hiding out thinking that people knew what I was doing and the cops were going to come get me and And in that paranoia and, you know, everything else, I just knew that this is ultimately how my life would end if I continued on this path. And the idea of somebody having to tell my mom, who I was really close with, that that's how her son died, just like broke my heart. And I woke up the next day and I tried to do things differently
0: you are listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. We appreciate you listening to the Addiction Podcast Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today, and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction. If you would like to contribute to our podcast, please go to bit.ly/fightdrugs. That's https: colon slash slash bit.ly slash fight drugs and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us.
1: And fortunately, you know, there's that time on boats and the experiential sort of outdoor stuff that I had done had sort of planted these little seeds of self-esteem that started to kind of grow. And, and as I started thinking about recovery, I I went and I tried climbing um in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Uh so I just drove up from Boston. And there was something about tying into that rope that that felt like this a courageous thing. Cause it mm-hmm. is kinda, you know. Yeah, and, well,
0: I would say so. I think it's but,
1: courageous. <laughs> but the more I did those things, the the less power the desire to drink and use had. You know, like I yep. just started to realize that that I'm that I'm maybe better than that and bigger than that. And I deserve more in life. And I have this intrinsic value and this dignity that I think I had lost in my addiction. And I started to find it again on mountaintops and getting into the boxing gym. And then that led to triathlon and um and then, you know, ultimately started piecing together years in recovery uh and was able to stop drinking. So you didn't
0: you didn't actually go to rehab. You just kind of took things into your own hands and
1: yeah, I mean I think just what you think, knew. Yeah, I think you'd call it harm reduction now, you know. Like <laughs> I, would, I would stay sober enough nights to climb on the weekend and then I would drink during the week and then I'd start boxing so I'd try to stay sober the night before so I could train and cuz it was pretty hard to train and get punched in the head if you're hungover and Yeah. Um so it just it just started chipping away at it to the point where it was really just dropping a couple last nights of drinking for me to step into recovery. And then that last night on that bender, thinking about my mom. It was just the, the final like sort of, um, linchpin in my recovery journey.
0: Wow. So when did you get sober?
1: Um, I got sober on April 8th, a little over 26 years ago. Wow.
0: Very cool. Um,
1: And I didn't realize it at the time, but, but my recovery would actually sort of catapult me into, into helping a lot of other people by starting, starting, um, a nonprofit, the Phoenix.
0: And that would be the next thing for you to tell us about then. So how did that come about? How did you start the Phoenix?
1: Yeah. So I, I, um, was in recovery. I started climbing pretty seriously. I climbed internationally. I climbed in the white mountains in New Hampshire, started racing triathlon. I actually think I was sort of, um, still trying to heal those self-esteem wounds by pushing myself harder on the race course or climbing something more dangerous or whatever it was. So I still had this sometimes negative coping mechanism through those activities, but it led me to Colorado where where two things happened. One of my climbing partners was a clinical social worker and, and the other was a guy in recovery. And we started talking about how powerful this was that, that I don't even think about drinking anymore. I don't even really identify myself as an addict or an alcoholic. And it's in part because I see myself more as a climber and a climbing partner and a triathlete and all these other positive identities and so we just wanted to start sharing it with other people. Cause that was the experience that my climbing partner had as somebody in recovery. And my other climbing partner as a clinical social worker, she just saw the power of that like parallel play and connection with others to, to believe in each other, even if we didn't yet believe in ourselves. And that's where the Phoenix was born. And yeah, it's a nonprofit that, that uses meaningful activities you have to be 48 hours clean and sober you show up at those activities they're led by by somebody in recovery or somebody touched by substance use and and that's it you just come together and you try something new and different that you might not have been able to do in your addiction whether it's climbing or yoga or meditation or a bike ride and it's free other than that 48 hours of sobriety and there is a code of conduct or an ethos that you have to adhere to which basically says we're here to lift each other up not pull each other down right and through that ethos we create a nurturing community that helps us all flourish
0: i you know i think that's fabulous and i want to go back to what you said where you and this is so important i first of all we never diss any rehab program that's out there we're not a big fan of medically assisted treatment because we kind of sort of believe substituting one drug for another is not the best idea, but there's so many different approaches to rehab and recovery that are, you know, if they work for people, then they're working. But what you said as about stopping identifying yourself as an addict and starting to identify yourself as a triathlete or as a climber, I think that that is monumental. And it is something that I have, I I don't, like I say, I never disagree with anybody that's on the podcast, but when someone has the firm belief that they are an addict and they will always be an addict, I feel a little badly about that. Do you know what I'm saying? I may yeah. get flack for this and I apologize, <laughs> but, but it, it, You have to look at who you are and inside you are not an addict. Okay. Yeah. You had a problem and you use drugs and alcohol to address that problem, but that's not you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that just makes sense to me. Sorry. I think
1: that's, I mean, I think I agree with you and that, that I think that's why I like to use the term when I was struggling with my substance use, you know, is, um, is, because that's a piece of my story. It is not my entire story. Right. And and we are I believe we are so much more than our disease. Like right. you may have cancer, but you are not a cancer person. Exactly. Right. So why do we use this this labeling around if we've struggled with substance use? I get if an individual wants to identify in that way because it helps them in their recovery journey, that's totally fine. But for As me, do I. Yeah. I struggled with substance use. I believe it came from the impacts of early childhood trauma. Yeah. I think as I healed those self-esteem wounds, I began to heal from that. And I started to um, move away from needing that to cope or to pour that on the pain to help numb it because I actually got to a place eventually where I could help, could process some of that pain through therapy. And that was transformational for me.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, we originally this podcast we've had a lot of um interaction with a local rehab called Narcanon. Narcanon doesn't even call the people who are there addicts, patients, or what have you. They're students. Do you know? And they and they basically teach them what you're talking about, which is to get back to yourself, you know, and and that you're not always an addict.
1: Yeah. Same same I mean, kind of idea. I, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think if we're gonna <clears throat> if we're gonna change the stigma around substance use and the folks that are impacted by it, we ourselves as people in recovery need to let go of some of the stigma we carry ourselves right. by ad- identifying us, ourselves solely as our disease. Right. Um, we are so much more and it yep. is a part of us, but it is not our whole story.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, so. and and really, like I say, you adopted a rather – yucky solution to address childhood trauma that resulted in, you know, um, self-invalidation. And so you adopted this, but that's not you. Like I said, you know, you, there's so much more to you than just the using that you did. It's just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And you know, what I didn't realize is by starting the Phoenix, I would sort of with this group of friends, we would sort of, um, start this ember smoldering nationally where we started having people reach out from communities across the country saying my loved ones struggling the phoenix really speaks to to me or to them because this idea that we're we all have this intrinsic strength and by coming together we can help each other find it and people wanted to start phoenix in their communities and we we had this nonprofit that was going to sort of try to scale with staff everywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was too, it was, it wouldn't have worked. It was been too expensive. So we started saying, could we empower volunteers and communities to start Phoenix themselves? And that's exactly what we did. And now we have over 80% of our programs are run by people who are volunteering, who've been impacted by substance use. Sometimes they're in recovery. Sometimes they're a loved one. But the Phoenix serves about 20,000 people a month with free recovery support in communities wow. across the country.
0: That's awesome.
1: In prisons, we have tablets that are distributed there. We're sort of the peloton of, of recovery in prisons. <laughs> I and, like that. Uh, yeah. And um, we have virtual, which is sort of equally impactful and changing lives as our, as our in-person, which has been really powerful to see. And um, we're now starting to get into... To creating sober spaces in the in the music industry, and as a, in an effort to work with the music industry artists and fans to to change our our way we approach this issue to more of this empowerment framework yep. as opposed to this like kind of top down solutions.
0: Yeah. So. Well, we've had several people on the podcast. You probably, if you listen to any of them, heard us interview people who are connected with Rock to Recovery and mm-hmm. that's that's it that's music in recovery that's teaching people to write songs and they you know they do it not only with drug addicts but with veterans who you know are suffering maybe with substance abuse maybe but mostly with PTSD or what have you and they write songs and they get these people to write songs and it's a it's it's a similar kind of idea to what you're talking about so there might be some synergy there and we can connect you up with them if that's something you'd be interested in doing
1: I would, I would love that. We've talked with them early on in our music sort of strategy, but we'd love to reconnect because sure. we're, we have this larger campaign. We're working with this foundation, charitable foundation called Stand Together Foundation. And, and working with them on this campaign called One Million Strong. And the oh. idea is to serve a million people impacted by substance use. Nice. And if folks want to learn more, then go to millionstrong.com to, to find out. But we have uh, music festivals uh, across the country where we're creating sober spaces with really great mocktails. And they're not sort of out on the fringe by the parking lot, right? Like they're right, right. up to the left of the stage. You know, they're like just um, exciting and inclusive spaces that that are helping folks who want to go listen to live music do that without having to drink or drug as much as they used to. Or if they're in recovery, they can jump in there and have mocktails and find their Phoenix family to support them while they're at that show. And by having it so um, centrally featured, we're starting to break down some of the stigma around this issue and and change some of the culture in the music space.
0: I like that. Now, did you say one million strong dot org or dot com?
1: Um, either one works. I think oh. it's uh, yeah dot com is is the best way to find it.
0: Okay, and then I was one also going to mention strong.org. because there's so many people working in this area. We've also had a gentleman on who hasn't, worked and I've forgotten his name. My husband is not here to to give me his name on the in the chat. And I'll I'll put it in the show notes, but it's it's S-A-F-E and it's sober AF Entertainment. And they did the same thing because he loved to go to rock concerts. And you know, you go to rock concerts and everybody's smoking, drinking, what have you. And he wanted a space at these concerts where people could go and be sober and with other sober people. So again, there's a lot of synergy there. I like it because. The the only way we're gonna really solve this addiction problem is with everybody working and hopefully working in tandem with everybody else. So I can see a lot of synergy and a lot of things that you're doing that you know, anyway, we will connect you up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. And yep. I actually and I think you're probably talking about Duke at So yeah, Sober AF. Thank <laughs> you. Yes. There, he's he's great and he works with our Colorado Phoenix group. Duke so, Rumley, right? Yep. Thank yep. you so much and um <laughs> but what's exciting about that is you know we have an app it's the phoenix a sober community if you go to the app store and it has our phoenix you know our big red phoenix bird you'll see but but we're experimenting with having more of the partners like folks you're talking about on our app so yep. it we're not trying to do it by ourselves we can lean on each other so if if one of our partners is helping somebody with trauma healing then Phoenix members can not only find Phoenix events through the app, they could find that program.
0: Right. Say it again. The Phoenix, a sober sober community community app. Okay, good.
1: Yeah. Perfect. So, um, you know, you you imagine uh, rock to recovery could be on there and do a songwriting workshop, or we could advertise Duke's events on there. If if sober AF is doing some stuff. So, you know, I think there's, there's, It's exciting if we can collaborate because Mm -hmm. the Phoenix, you know, isn't going to solve everything for everyone. But if we all come together and we build this really cohesive group of folks who offer things that kind of cover the spectrum, then what you need at two days sober and what you need at 10 years sober are different. Yep. And you might be able to access those if we, if we come together and create a more um, sort of supportive space.
0: I think you are absolutely correct. And I, I love what you guys are doing. And I'm just gonna say the website once more, it's one million strong dot com. But that's not the phoenix. There's also no,
1: the phoenix. The phoenix is the phoenix.org.
0: The phoenix.org. And then there's an app, the phoenix, a strong community. Sober app. community. So I'm sorry. No, we'll no. no that you're again. Good. The phoenix, a sober community. Um, an app. And that's how you can find out. Some of these activities that might help you or a loved one who's struggling and i think it's huge i really really appreciate you coming on today scott and i appreciate everything that you're doing because it is going to take all of us and you are doing some really fantastic things and i will definitely email you contacts for some of these other organizations we interviewed um a gentleman named josh uh, villa real he kind of goes on mm-hmm. social media by josh detente And he's also involved in a music recovery type organization. I want to say it's in Austin, but I'll get that information to you as well. And, you know, it's all about connecting up and and building and growing and it'll happen.
1: I I agree. And thank you for for telling so many powerful stories and raising up voices that can help uh, give people that path to hope. So you're welcome. really appreciative for what you're doing.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening. I think that Scott and his program is very valid for those of you in recovery, those of you who have a loved one who needs help. Um you know, probably just about anyone can be sober and clean for 48 hours and that's all they have to do to become involved with the Phoenix. And once again that website is thephoenix.org. And then the music initiative that he mentioned is called is at the website one millionstrong.com or dot org. And then the app, which is um, you know, which you can get obviously on your phone, is the Phoenix a sober community. And the whole name, he says, will come up. So thank you for listening. Um, we are moving into Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. It's a time when you want your loved ones around you. But if they are in active addiction, you need to get them into treatment. It's not going to be a fun holiday if you don't. So everybody take care, and we'll talk to you again next week with another interview.
1: You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, point of no return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook
0: or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.